Crosswalk. Welcome to worship. The Good brave. Morning. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I think it's, it's okay. Good morning, and Pastor I, Patty. I want to say, um, first of all, yeah, if you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Patty McCoy. I get to be the lead pastor here at Crosswalk. This is Pastor Jason. Stop it. Jason Calvert. Um, and he's going to speak to us today. I'll introduce him in just a moment. I just wanted to thank everybody for um, making sure the spit zone here in the front was clear. <laughs> Um, so it's good. I don't we're know. supposed I, to tell them about that. Nah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. But uh, it's interesting, Pastor Jason, that <laughs> you guys know it snowed out some today. Some people had more snow than others. We had some volunteers that were like, oh, it's snowing. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, it was snowing at our house. So I just wanted to thank you That's for it. coming out to worship yeah. today and yes, braving woo! it. Braving right. it. Yes. You know, it was 60 degrees one day last week, but it's you welcome know, to Portland. Welcome to Portland. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm excited to have you guys here as we continue our Easter series called The Invitation. And we just keep building up to Easter weekend. We'll announce that at the end. We've got some stuff we're super excited about. But I'm excited to have my bald brother from another mother mm. um, up to preach today. Pastor Jason Calvert is our associate youth director for the Oregon Conference. He gets to go around and, and help and support youth ministry and get these things going. Um, but my claim to fame with him is that he and I got to work together in the mission field of the Midwest for a little while. Um, and we survived. And we survived. Yeah, good. If you ever go Long John's Parka yep. and an umbrella. We don't yep. have umbrellas here because we're cooler than umbrellas. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, he was my kid's youth pastor. And my kids to this day, would, they were even sad that they were, had to be in school in Walla Walla. And like, we can't hear Pastor Jason. So it's like, yeah, because they don't want to hear me anymore. They'd rather just hear That's what him. my kids say, so but it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it happens. But I'm super excited to have him here with us and uh, speaking to us today and sharing as a part of the Easter series. So let me just have a word of prayer over him. Mm. Father God, thank you so much for uh, Pastor Jason, his work, his family, and the opportunity uh, that you've given him to speak and represent you today. So mm -hmm. as we hear his words, as we lean into the teaching, I pray uh, that you would become greater as he becomes less yes. and that we'd be open to receive what you have to tell us. Mm. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. 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 Uh, good morning, Crosswalk family. Yeah, oh, good. You're there. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so thank you, obviously, for allowing me to be here. Thank you, Pastor Patty, for the invitation. You see what I did there? Um, yes, and he is a good personal friend, and he is my pastor uh, here at Crosswalk. Um, but I want to get everything started by asking you a question. And the question is Where in your life is your faith? tested the most. <laughs> okay, now, I, I, I'm going to rat out first service for a quick moment. I, I said that in first service, and someone, I'm not going to say who, uh, over here, like right when I said, where's your faith tested the most, they immediately like looked over at someone, and it was a little awkward. Uh, so don't do that. But let's just think for a second. You know the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, Patience, okay, pastor, we got some work to do. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, good, gentleness, and don't forget about that last one. Self-control, yes. Uh, good job, Lucy. Um, yes, when it comes to these things, where in your life is this tested the most? For me, it's the airport. I don't know about you, um, especially if you have like a layover somewhere, right? And just that would preach, we don't have time to go into it, but if you really think about it, isn't it true that in life, when it comes to the places that you know you need to go, the only way you're ever going to get there is if you stop and make a connection. 
right? Uh, but, you know, for me, when traveling, um, it, man, airports, especially those, that layover situation, because it's inevitable, at least in my world, I don't know about for you, that my initial flight, leaving Portland usually, is late. And oftentimes, my connecting flight is somewhere like in, you know, Denver or Dallas or somewhere terrible. And, right, and, and the issue is, I don't know if this is your life, but for me, I'll land, right, at gate A1. And because my initial flight was late, um, I have exactly 57 seconds to go from A1 to gate Z99 to make my connecting flight, right? Um, which means I kind of have uh, an option, uh, like three options, right? I have a choice of, of three different options. Option number one. I just completely missed my flight. Nope, I'm a busy person, I got stuff to do, places to go, that's not gonna happen, right? Option number two, if you think about it, um, I can wave down, I don't know if you've done this, I, I can wave down one of those oversized golf carts, have you seen those? And then I have someone like drive me to my gate. No, I'm a grown man, I'm not about that life. Um, which means, option number three, <laughs> I can run with everything I got, like Usain Bolt, right? If you're a little bit older like me and you remember that Hertz commercial from the 1970s with Orenthal J. Simpson, remember that? Running through the terminal, right? Or, or you just sprint with everything you have. Well, that was me. That was me. And uh, I, I, I forget where, but it was relatively recently. I, I landed somewhere. I had 57 seconds to go from gate A1 to gate Z99. And I'm sprinting right through the, through the terminal. And I'm hurtling luggage and children and random pets, right, trying to get there. And then <laughs> that's when I saw it. I don't know if you've been there. I saw one of those things at the airport that let me know it's a reminder that God is still in the business of making miracles. <laughs> I saw that thing that's like, yes, God is still in control and, and everything is going to be okay. I saw, have you been there? The moving walkway. No, you don't care. You've never seen those things. Okay, one fan. The moving walkway, right? How many of you love at the airports the moving walkway? Because you know, right? Okay, good. Because you know that because of the moving walkway that allows you to get to your destination quicker and easier than it normally would have if you had gone by your own strength. So I saw it. And I'm uh, get, making my way to that moving walkway. But then, <laughs> that's when it happened. My only, my only problem with the moving walkway my only issue, my only, like, frustration with the moving walkway are the people on the moving walkway who refuse to move. No, you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, have you ever seen them standing there with their big old bag that you know they should have checked in, right? And here's the thing. I don't care if you want to stand in the airport with your big old bag. Do that. It's fine. You can stand anywhere you want. But my issue is when you bring stagnation and, and stillness to a mechanism that was created for movement. Think about it. Isn't it true? Anytime you have stagnation in a place that was created for movement, 
you will always have frustration. Like, think about it. Like traffic. I don't mind sitting in a comfortable chair, right, enjoying a warm beverage, looking out my window, listening to like a, a podcast or a, a, an audio book or some, or some music. If I'm at my house, that's called catching a vibe. Yeah, I, 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 I like that. But I don't want to do that in my car because cars are created for movement. Isn't it true that anytime you have stagnation in a place that was created for movement, you will always have frustration. So I wonder, when it comes to the invitations, what we're talking about for Easter, and when it comes to this idea of following Jesus, I wonder within the invitation, if we were to peel back the layers just a little bit, is there something, is there some insight that would help us give a little glimpse as to better understanding this idea of loving well? Well, New Testament scholar, uh, Dr. William Webb, he suggests that when it comes to the invitation, or, and when it comes to understanding history and the scriptures, that we do so through the lens of football. And somebody should say amen. Good, yeah, one fan. Okay, through the lens of football. And so this is what uh, Dr. Webb suggests. He says, if we understand scriptures in, the, in history and this invitation through the lens of football, it's like God's people are the home team. And they have the ball. And the ball represents truth. And they have truth, they, they have it, but it's on the one-yard line deep in their own territory. And then that means that they have to go 99 yards to the goal line. And what he suggests is at that goal line, this is where we find God's ultimate will for people. This is where Jesus describes it's the abundant life. This is where Jesus or the Bible describes what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. The ultimate ethic, the ultimate space of how to live life as Jesus followers. It's over here on the goal line. But if we look at history in the scriptures, God's people received truth way back on the one. And so he suggests that the meta-narrative of history and the scriptures describes how God's people have moved closer and closer to God's ideal. But remember, God never gives us more than we can handle, especially when it comes to the context of culture. He meets people where they are. And so often the movement was very incremental. So if we think about it just real quick, Let's go back to the beginning, like in Genesis, Genesis 6. And in Genesis 6, we see that this is before the flood. We see the only time in all of the scriptures we see this, there's a triple negative description of something. It says that at that time, pre-flood, that every thought, it's a triple negative, every thought was only evil continually. So in other words, at that time, no one ever thought or did anything good Ever. And then it says, but there was one man who walked with God, and his name was Noah. So it's like the ball of truth was handed to a player named Noah, and he takes that ball and he tucks it, and he runs three hard yards. Um, and there's forward progress. And then if you remember, after the flood, God literally tells his people, they walk out of the ark, and God says to the family of Noah, now go and, like, scatter 
Like literally, move. And what do they do? They stop and build a tower, right? That's the opposite of movement. Um, and so they're tackled at the line of scrimmage. No gain, third down. And then your Bible talks about a man named Abram. And your Bible says that Abram, he trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God literally told Abram, the first thing we see in the Bible where God told Abram something, and Abram literally, or he told Abram to literally move, right? Move to the land where I will show you. And he picks up seven difficult yards and now it's first down. Forward progress. And then the next several plays as we walk through the scriptures, we see a couple handoffs and short backfield passes to people like Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Rachel. And then it's fourth and one on the 20-yard line. And now they have a decision to make, if you understand football. It's fourth and one. They have a decision. Are we going to just kick the ball and be okay to stop progress? That's the easy thing. And believe right. Or are we going to go for it? Well, in your Bible, as we walk through the pages, we understand that the ball of truth was handed to a man named Joseph. And Joseph, through some grit and discipline, he picks up some hard running yards. And so he makes it. And now it's first and 10 on the 21-yard line. And then if you remember in the story, after Joseph, at the 21-yard line, God's people stop moving. Right? There's slavery and stagnation. No movement for about 120 years. And then we see that Moses enters the game. Moses trusts God enough, and so he, through a phenomenal route, creates separation from the enemy, and he picks up a three-yard pass. And now God's people are free, and there's movement. Second down. But we need to understand, as we look through what Moses writes in the First Testament, the Old Testament, that in these ancient days, like picking up these truth yards, these morality yards, like it was tough because the culture said some crazy things in the day, right? The culture of the day said like this, if your slave runs away, catch him, kill him, and do it in the presence of others as a deterrent, right? That was the culture. That's what they said. But then, right, in your Bible, right, we could read our Bibles, and your Bible says, if your slave runs away, you can't kill him, but you can hurt him. And we read this today, and we're like, what kind of God would say such a thing, right? That's awful. But we need to remember, when cast against the cultural canvas of the day, it's hard. It's a painful yard. There's a limitation, right? It's called the law of limitations. Like, no, no, no. There is a limit. It's a painful yard, but truth did move forward compared to the context. And so now it's third down. And, you know, when it would come to the issue, there are several things, but when it comes to the issue of, like, property ownership, the culture of the day said women were not allowed to own property. And then God told Moses, no, 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 there actually are situations when a woman could own property. And truth moves forward, fourth down, and they're on the 28-yard line, and they have a decision to make when it's fourth down. Are, you gonna, are we just going to believe right and kick the ball, stop progress, 
or are we going to go for it? Uh, well, culture of the day said things like this. Punish misbehavior so fiercely that, when, that it will scare people into submission. And God shows up, and God says, no, 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 no. And you've heard this. God says, no, you can't do that. Um, the punishment must fit the crime, right? You make your punishment just. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, no, there has, it has to fit. It's not just whatever. And the ball of truth moved forward. Three yards, and they convert. And now it's first down on the 31-yard line. And then... Um, this is where, this is how progress happened, right, in the ancients, right, during the scriptures, right, when God's people, they were inching their way downfield through lurches and losses and starts and stalls, but still truth was moving. And then after several trick plays and wildcat formations, man, God's people made some phenomenal progress through people like Esther, and Joshua, and Deborah, and David, and Solomon, and Daniel, and Elisha, and Elijah. And the ball of truth gets to the 40-yard line. And then we see in the scriptures and in history that truth stopped. Right? The last play was Malachi. And Malachi took that, you know, took truth and tried to move forward, but he was stopped. And for 400 years in our scriptures, the people of God didn't hear from him. There was silence, no more movement, and they stopped on the 40-yard line, fourth down. And it didn't look good. But then suddenly, <laughs> like without warning, Gabriel, the quarterback, like drops back. And he's got this massive crowd, right? The, the offensive line just surrounds him. And Gabriel is safe in the pocket. And he gets the ball. And he ratchets this massive throw. And he launches truth way, right, up in the air in this tight, perfect spiral. And it's like all of the universe is watching truth move through the air. And it's like, what is going to happen? And then as the ball of truth comes down after this massive throw, it, the ball comes down and we hear the faint cry of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And the ball is caught 30 yards downfield. And now we see Jesus show us what truth actually looks like in enemy territory. Jesus now demonstrates with full authority in front of the universe through some hard cuts and stiff arms what the abundant life, a life with God, the ultimate ethic and morality, what life looks like on the ground, what it actually means to live the invitation to love well. And Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, right? For Jesus, this is like he's holding on, right? These are truths based on the old, but they're deepened in the new, and there's movement. But let's not kid ourselves. These teachings of Jesus, they're hard. Lo have you thought about this? Love your enemies? Are you serious? Like, don't just love people who don't look or act or vote like you. No, no, no. Love people who are actually against you. Oh, that's hard. 
Um, and when someone asks you for a little, give them a lot. Go the extra mile, Jesus says. Oh, and you can't make things right with God until you make things right with the people around you. And then he would say things like this. Don't point out, right? You can't point out the speck of sawdust in your sister's eye. First, what you need to do is you need to perform like personal surgery and remove the plank out of your own eye. And then Jesus says, after you do that, then you will be able to see. And I'm pretty sure people who heard this in the first century, they're like, wait, wait, wait. How could anyone see anything after a surgery like that? And I can see Jesus smile and look back lovingly and say, yeah, exactly. He says, blessed are those who curse you. I mean, it was amazing and disturbing. But with all God's authority, he literally was restructuring their entire value system. Jesus was moving the ball of truth downfield. And then we hit the pause button on all of these scenes, and we zoom in for a moment on one scene. And there's so many, but I really believe in this one scene, right, perhaps we see um, how the entire world now would understand a little bit layer, additional layer to this invitation to love well and a movement for the whole world. So um, go to your phones or you can just watch the screen here. We're going to look at a passage real quick and then we're done in Matthew 8. Okay, so go to Matthew 8. Matthew 8 in your Bible, on your phone, or just watch the screen here and we're going to start in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. And this is what it says. And <laughs> I love this. And when Jesus entered, where? Capernaum. Oh, this, okay, you, you don't get it. This is actually exciting, right? You, you know this is going to be tasty because he's entering Capernaum. And here's why. Capernaum, Keper, Nahum. It's these two words that literally, Nahum means um, comfort. So literally it's saying Jesus entered a place of comfort, which tells us something. He's going to directly connect. There's going to be an invitation with people who are comfortable and he's going to push for movement. And then there are going to be people who are uncomfortable, like starving for some peace and love and comfort. And he's going to provide it. Right? So, when Jesus entered Capernaum, you know this is going to be good. It continues, a centurion came to him, begging him. And the world stood still. This church is beyond awkward. Like, love your enemies, do for others. Those are great hashtags, but surely... Those pithy one-liners wouldn't apply to this guy. Maybe, maybe a, a quick little history lesson would help. See, about 100 years before this, uh, Roman general Pompey um, entered the city of Jerusalem, and he completely desecrates the temple by giving himself a, well, a, a self-guided tour. He pushes the rabbis aside. He pushes the, the curtain aside. He goes into the holy place because he had heard about this Jewish God. They built this massive, beautiful temple. And so he goes in expecting to see a God, a, an idol. But when he goes in, he doesn't see anything. He sees a table and a golden candlestick and about 2,000 talents of gold. And he's thinking, man, these, these, these crazy people. So he leaves but he didn't leave empty-handed. He left with thousands of Jewish slaves 
Galileans and Judeans then lose their independence again. And then, years later, another general shows up. His name's Crassus, and he actually goes into the temple, and he steals all of the Jewish wealth, all of it, all of the temple taxes, and he takes it with him back to Rome. And then, in about 40 B.C., this guy shows up. Um, his name is Herod the Great. He was crowned king of the Jews, which is weird because he's not even Jewish. Uh, he actually murders a number of rabbis, um, and he's, his son is the one who is responsible for the death of John the Baptist. And then, uh, sometime when Jesus was in his 20s, uh, Roman commissioned Pontius Pilate to be the governor of Judea. It's Pilate who introduced crucifixion to Galilee and Judea. And he acted violently against both Jews and Samaritans. He, too, stole money uh, from the temple treasury. And he even, as you know, uh, took his own life. But the point is this. Everything connect for the Jews connected with Rome was tainted, right? Too much history. But it gets even worse, right? Because your Bible says this wasn't even just a normal soldier, it says that this was a centurion. Centurions, the only reason they earned their rank and their authority was because of their violence. Uh, right? Centurions were known to flog their own men and at times even execute their own soldiers. But then it's even worse. Because at this time, we know from history, at this time in this region... Roman centurions, they weren't even in the land. They wouldn't show up for another 10 to 15 years after this scene, which means this guy would have been recruited from the surrounding regions. And I'm not even going to tell you, you can Google it later, how awful the things of the, 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 the way the people of the surrounding regions, how they looked at Jews. It was awful. And so this, this is the tension. This is the context, the emotion that hung in the air that afternoon as Jesus is stopped by a centurion for help. Like, literally, this centurion represented everything Jesus actually had a right to hate. Personally, nationally, ethnically, religiously, it's all wrong. And now he goes to Jesus with a favor? Have you been there? I think we've all been there from time to time, right? Uh, someone comes up and says, oh, I, wait, wait, wait. You want a job recommendation? Are you serious? Did you forget the way you treated me and our employees? Wait, wait, you want to borrow money? No, no, no. What you actually mean is you want to borrow more money because you haven't repaid us back from the last time you borrowed money. Or, no, wait, wait, you want a second chance? That's adorable. This would actually be now your fourth second chance. Too much history. And so there they stand in this scene. And the crowd's wondering, what will Jesus do? They knew what Jesus taught. They knew what he said, and they knew what he believed. But the question is, in this moment, what will he do? So the story continues. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, begging him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, terribly 
tormented. And I'm pretty sure the people in the audience would have been like, wait, 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 what? Since when do you care about anyone suffering with terrible torment, right? Like you are the, you personify terrible tormentation, right? Our whole lives we've experienced terrible tormentation because of you and your emperor and your armies. This, this was a big deal. And you do remember, like for Jesus, like he could have actually gotten personal about this. He could have been, he could have looked at the centurion and he could have said, listen, <laughs> thanks to you and your former emperor, my poor mother, at nine months pregnant, had to walk 70 miles and give birth to me in a cave. Which, you know, for Hallmark, it worked pretty well, and people who sell yard ornaments. Um, but the, the, the thing is this, right? An invitation. This is what Jesus is all about. To a new kingdom, a new morality a new ethic. Jesus, with all God's authority, is introducing a new way of seeing the world, and perhaps even more importantly, a new way of seeing people in the world. And the ball moves forward. Um, so let's keep going. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the crowd is like, Unbelievable. This is crazy. And then Jesus is like, oh, and would you like me to go to your house to heal him? And I'm sure the audience, right, all the Jews would be like, absolutely not. That is going way too far. You cannot enter his house. But then he says, the centurion, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And at that moment, I'm sure in this scene, there was a collective Oh, exhale. Like, yeah, okay, at least we can agree on something. That, you got that right. There's no way he should be under your roof. Uh, but then, um, this is what the centurion says. He says, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. Oh, don't miss that, church. I also am a man under authority. This guy realizes the authority of Jesus to move things forward. Uh, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and, 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 and to my slave, do this, and, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, verse 10, he was amazed and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel, whoo, that's causing some discomfort for those who felt comfortable. And then he continues, and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. In other words, it will be done for you as you have trusted. And the servant was healed that very moment, and the crowd was amazed. Jesus, demonstrating a new truth, but it was built on the old. Right? Jesus says, a new commandment I, I give to you. And he says that you love one another. And all the people at the time in the first century would have been like, no, 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 that's, not, that's nothing new. 
Our whole lives we've been told to love one another. Love one another as we love ourselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 It's in John. He says, no. Um, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So, back to the game. After the 30-yard pass, Jesus uh, catches the ball, uh, picks up 10 extra yards running after the catch, and he jumps after the play, he jumps on the headset, runs to the sidelines, and through the Spirit, looks at his people and says, did you see that? I just showed you how. So, now it's first and 10 on the 20-yard line. And if you know anything about football, you know that now at the 20-yard line, um, this is called the red zone, which is interesting because in your Bibles, even in your phones, the words of Jesus are written in red. And then we see a, a guy show up on the field, a new player. His name is Saul. Woo! Saul almost messed everything up. He almost bobbled the ball, and the whole thing would have been a disaster. But he regains focus. He gets control of the ball, and he moves truth forward by saying things like, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. What an invitation. Uh, he says things like, all have sinned and fallen short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people, whoever the those people are in your head, yeah, they've sinned, but so have you. All have sinned and fallen short. What an invitation. Uh, he says, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What an invitation. He, he says, um, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Right? doesn't matter what an invitation. He says things like, let a woman learn in silence and submission. Huh. And today, we read that and we kind of freak out. Oh, what is he saying? Wait, he's you know, being suppressive. Right? Women have to be silent and submissive. No, no, no. We're missing the point. In those days and in that culture, everybody learned in silence and submission. Men learned in silence and submission. The issue isn't silence and submission. The issue, as Paul says, let a woman learn. And there's forward movement. What an invitation. They pick up 10 yards and they convert. And now it's first and goal on the 10-yard line. Some new players jump on the field, and on the back of their jerseys, we see names like Wycliffe and Huss and Luther and Zwingli and Tyndale and Calvin, and the ball moves forward. And now it's third and goal on the five-yard line. And Jesus, through the Spirit, calls a few trick plays, and we see some new players on the field. On the backs of their, jer their jerseys, we see names like Miller and Bates and Byington and Haskell and Andrews and Smith and Jones and Wagner and James and Ellen White. But then they're stopped on the one-yard line, and it's fourth and goal. And now they have a decision to make. There's a decision that needs to be made. Are they just going to kick the ball? end progress, because that's the easy thing, simply believe right, or are they going to go for it and act when something isn't right? Uh, one of my favorite authors, Ellen White, says this, is in Christ Object Lessons. Uh, go back, we'll read it this afternoon. It's on pages 127 and 128 of Christ Object Lessons. Uh, pages 127 and 128 of Christ's Object Lessons, and uh, one of my favorite authors, Ellen White, says this. She says, in every age, man, church, catch this. In every age, there is a new development of truth. 
a message of God to the people of that generation. The old truths are essential, okay, let's understand. New truth is not independent of the old, but an unfolding of it. It is only as the old truths are understood that we can comprehend the new. When Christ desired to open to his disciples the truth of his resurrection, he began at Moses and all the prophets and expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's from Luke 24. But it is the light which shines in the fresh unfolding of truth that glorifies the old. That is so good. Don't miss this, church. He or she who rejects or neglects the new does not really possess the old. For him, it loses its vital power and becomes but a lifeless form. Church, this truth, this authority, this invitation that Jesus shows us, it's really quite simple. And what he's saying is, the truth is, the men and women who make a difference in this world are not the men and women who simply believe right. The men and women who make a difference in this world are the men and women who act and react when something isn't right. And truth moved forward. So, church, what's this new truth? What's the message to this generation? Um, let me ask you this question real quick. Who in your life is the centurion? Like, who, wherever you work, wherever that is, who's the centurion at work? Maybe in your family, and don't, don't do what someone earlier did. Don't look at your family, but, but look at them. But think about it. Who in your family is the centurion in your life? Who in your community, when you see them, honestly, everything inside of you kind of causes you to recoil a little bit. Who in your community is the centurion? So that when the centurions in our world show up, because they will, because your Bible says, but God moved, God responded, God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet centurions, Christ died for us. And then he rose from the dead. And through the pages of history and the scriptures, he glances over his shoulder at you and me and our church. And he looks at us this morning, Crosswalk, and he says, your turn. So it's the final play. It's fourth down and one. And that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, calls the play. And the play is to be a, a handoff of truth to us. And, and the, the play is for us to jump over the fray, right, to elevate the conversation, to elevate the expectations, right, to jump over all the pushing and the shoving and the yelling and the arguing and the judging, both on the line of scrimmage and online. And like that late, great Walter Payton of the 80s, sweetness number 34, we are to take the ball of truth and jump over all of the, the, the fray and, and hold that ball over the goal line and, and come down with authority and spike the ball like Gronkowski and show the world this is the ultimate ethic. This is the ultimate morality, ultimate life with God, the abundant life to this generation. It looks like this. So the invitation to love well is actually to move not simply believe right, 
The invitation to love well means that we move and we act when something isn't right. So what are we going to do, church? You have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. We have a decision to make. Are we going to be comfortable and just be okay to kick the ball and believe right? Or will we respond to this invitation to move? I say, church, let's go for it. Let's pray. Father, the story of scriptures and people and you moving in people's lives are amazing. And you're so loving and you're so generous and you care so much and it blows our minds sometimes. But the truth is, like, we can recognize these things, but the truth is it's hard. It, it, it's uncomfortable. And so, Father, I pray that you, you help us as a church, as a family, to, to not just believe right, but to act and react when things aren't right. And so give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the wisdom and the and discernment to know what to do and when to do, what to say, how to act, and when to be quiet. So, God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your generosity and for safe spaces and for community. Thank you for partnering with us, choosing us, because, man, we're terrible people sometimes. You chose to partner with us to move and to show truth in the world, and we get to partner with you in this invitation. So thank you, God, for your love and your generosity and for worship and for the space that we have here together. May you continue to be with us as we move forward, loving well. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, will you stand to your feet as we worship this one last song?